Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, thank you, Daniel. Howdy, WCC. It's good to see everybody. Um, today, I'm going to wrap up a sermon series on Christianity and the culture. So we've been doing this for quite some time, and frankly, I'm ready to be done with it. And so I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to pick up, actually, I'm not going to preach again. It's going to be extended time. A bunch of guys are going to preach through Advent, and, and I'm looking forward to that. So I'm not actually going to preach again until January, but we'll pick up in Hebrews then. So uh, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. But I've said this many times. And my, this has been my prayer for really the whole series, is that I want us to understand the culture better than the culture understands itself. And today, we're going to look at a very difficult uh, com- issue and conversation, and it has to do with homosexuality. So to me, this is, this is a really difficult topic for the church to address, and frankly, I don't think the church has done a good job of addressing it, okay? So the question that we're going to ask and this is actually the title of the sermon, is how should we think about homosexuality? How should we think about homosexuality? And I would say this, if you find what I say today helpful at all, I want to strongly encourage you to buy some books. I'm going to send them out in the email this week. Uh, They've been published this year. I've got a few of them here. It's a big, long series. The editor is D.A. Carson, who I admire a lot. But the, the series is called something like Questions for Restless Minds. So the ones that I'm going to recommend, are they all start out with this, how should we think about? So it's how should we think about sex, homosexuality, and gender and identity. And they look like this. So these are the little books. They're about 70, 80 pages long. They're really easy to read. But what I found is they're extremely helpful in addressing some of these very difficult issues. Okay? So here's the scenario that I want to present. Okay? I, want, I, want to, I want to ask you, how would you respond to this? So one of the things I'm not addressing, I'm not addressing militant homosexuals, okay? I'm not addressing that issue. What I'm addressing today is this. How would you respond in, in this way? Uh, let's say, I, and, and the reason I'm telling you this is because I want to, us to, to think about this from a pastoral perspective, like giving wise counsel and, and biblically sound, God-honoring advice. I want to be, be helpful and loving and I want to be true to God and his word, okay? But I also want to provide hope. So that's kind of the pastoral perspective that I'm coming at this with, okay? So here's the scenario. Now let's say you've got a young person. It can be anybody, but in my mind, I'm thinking about a young person comes to you. They've been raised in the church, and they say this, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want to live for him, but I have same-sex desires. I'm sexually attracted to people of the same sex. What should I do? Okay, got it? That's the issue. So, so a young person, 18, 20 years old, they come to you, raised in the church, they say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to serve and live for him, but I have same-sex desires. And they say this, for years, years, I've repented of this over and over again. I have prayed that God would take away these same-sex desires and give me sexual desires for the opposite sex, but God has not done that. And I keep praying, and God has not changed my desires. I'm still attracted to people of the same sex. What should I do? How would you respond? This is a, it's not easy, is it? This is tough. 
So this is the question that I want us to think about. How would you respond? That's what I want us to deal with today. I want to deal with the issue of homosexuality, as I said, in a pastoral way. Providing biblically sound, God-honoring advice that's helpful and loving. True to God and his word and providing hope. So again, how would you respond? First, a heart check, and this means a lot to me. I would ask this. Do you even care? Do you even care? Because I confess to you that one of my frustrations about this is it seems that a lot of Christians just do not care. And maybe it's because they don't know what to say. And if that's the case, I totally get it. I totally get it. That can be confusing. But really a heart check. Do we care? Because the discouraging part to me is it seems like a lot of Christians just don't give a rip. They don't care. Um, But... And, and the issue is really personal to me because I have, I have some friends who are Christians who have same-sex desires. They don't want them. They don't want to act on those. They know they're sinful. They struggle. Okay? I have Christian friends who have same-sex desires, and they don't want them. Also, I know many, many parents who have kids who were raised in the church, but now they identify as homosexual. They identify as gay. In fact, just on Friday, I was having a conversation with a group of brothers that I've been meeting with for a long time, and I was talking about this. Just on Friday, a brother, very close friend of mine that I've known for decades, he told me that, he told us, the group, that his daughter has now come out as homosexual on Instagram. She she said that now she's homosexual. She identifies as homosexual. I have multiple friends who have children who now identify as gay. So I would just again ask you, do you even care? That's the issue on the heart check, okay? If you do care, that's great. If you do care, let's think through this and let's ask God to give us wisdom about this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give some bullet points and I'm going to provide some brief comments as we go through these and I'm praying that this will be helpful. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing that very few of you have ever heard a sermon like this, right? I never have. I never have. So, so I would strongly encourage you. This is what I'm guessing I'm going to go through some things and you're going to be thinking about it and then I'll go on to something else and you'll still be thinking about this and you may miss some things. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon after it's posted online because I think you're probably going to miss some stuff. I, I, don't do, I think I've done that maybe twice before, but I am asking you to listen to this sermon again, Okay. So again, the question is, the big question that we're looking at is, how would you respond to a young person or a person of any age who who says, I have same-sex desires, but I want to follow Jesus? How would you respond? Okay, the bullet points. And we can go, I saw it was put up there. We can go ahead and put the first one up there. The three common options are this. They are, and they're usually presented, these are usually presented to people in the church who who have same-sex desires. The three common options are this. One is the gay community. And what I mean by that is, one option that people have is to identify as homosexual and practice homosexuality, abandon the church, and just live into that. That's one option, to be a part of the gay community. And what we've talked about in the Christianity Culture series is that this is what the culture tells you. The culture tells you that you are your desires, that your desires are your identity. And so what, what the culture is saying is because you have these desires, that's who you are. You're gay. You're homosexual. That's your identity. So live into that. Embrace it. Don't fight against it. Okay? Practice homosexuality. Abandon the church. That's what the gay community is saying. 
The second one I've, I've called the progressive church or liberal church says this, that you can be a Christian. You can be a Christian and identify as homosexual and be a part of the church. You can practice homosexuality. Usually they say this, just try to be committed to one partner, right? That's usually kind of how they phrase it. Just try to be monogamous. But you can be gay, you can be homosexual, and be a part of the church. Sometimes more conservative churches will try to minimize the sinfulness of homosexuality. That's one of the methods. I've heard this. They say the Bible talks a lot more about greed than homosexuality. Like dismissing sin is an option. It's not an option if you're going to believe the Bible, right? So, so, but sometimes they, they do that. They want to just minimize it and never talk about it, and, and the, but really they act like it's fine. Then the third option is what I'm saying is the typical conservative church says this, rightly, that homosexuality is sinful, but it's also unmentionable. So we just never talk about it. Or if we ever talk about it, all we do is say that it's sinful. That's all we do. We just pr- say it's prohibited. And then we say, repent and pray, and it's sinful. And we just keep repeating that. But the, that typical conservative church, though, offers no path of life for someone who has same-sex desires for following Jesus. There's no hope. There's no path. You just don't talk about it, and you keep quiet, all right? I don't believe any of these ways are the biblical way. Because two of them, the first two, are contrary to God's word. And the last one, the one that's trying to be biblical, and I get it, they're trying to be biblical, but they're not offering a path for living for Jesus within the context of the church, with fellow believers loving each other. But I believe that the, the, there is biblical, there's a biblical and God-honoring way to live a life devoted to Jesus Christ for people who have same-sex desires. It's not easy. I'm going to say this. It's not easy. But there is hope. Okay. So again, the question is, what do we say to a person who says, I have same-sex desires, but I want to follow Jesus? That goes, number two. Let's go to number two on the slide. And we have to say this. We have to say that homosexuality is sinful and directly contrary to God's word. We have to say that. We can't back off of that. And I would ask you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. So we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. There are a number of passages, but this is the one I want to kind of pick up on to, to start out with. First Timothy 1, and we're going to begin in verse 8. First Timothy 1, verse 8. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. If you're in Hebrews, it's to the left. First Timothy 1, beginning verse 8. It says this. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but, and then Paul does something very interesting here. He summarizes the Ten Commandments. If you read through this passage, it's really interesting the way Paul does this. So he summarizes the Ten Commandments. He says the law, is, the law, uh, the law is not laid down for the just, but, and he says for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. Those are the first commandments about you shall have no other gods before me, no, no idols. Don't, don't use your mouth to take the name of the Lord in vain. Then he goes on to, he says, for those who strike their fathers and mothers. That's honor your father and your mother. Next one is for murderers. You shall not murder. Verse 10, the commandment is you shall not commit adultery. 
but this really includes any form of sexual immorality. And he says that. He's at verse 10. He says, the sexually immoral. Then he says, men who practice homosexuality. Then enslavers, which is interesting because the command is you shall not steal. And the worst form of theft is stealing people, right? So enslavers. Then, he, then it, you shall not lie, that's the commandment, and he goes to liars and perjurers, and then he says, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Now look at verse 11. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. So Paul says that he's been entrusted with the gospel, and all these prohibitions against sin are actually part of the gospel, and that's important. Because no, but notice back in verse 10... Paul refers to the sinfulness of men who practice homosexuality. Now, it's not just men. Romans 1 makes it clear that homosexual conduct is sinful, whether it's practiced by men or women. And what the Bible consistently says is that practicing homosexuality is sinful and directly contrary to God's word. And so, what's significant about this passage is, if a church says that homosexuality is okay, then their teaching is contrary to God's word. And what Paul says here, they're not proclaiming the gospel. It's contrary to the gospel. So, if you're a Christian, you cannot say that homosexuality is okay because you're contradicting the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying right here. So, progressive churches, quote-unquote progressive churches, really are not true churches of Jesus Christ because they're contrary to the gospel. You see that? That's how significant this is. Now, let me stress this, and I've said this before, any sexual act, I'm not just picking on homosexuality, any sexual activity outside of covenant marriage between a man and a woman, any sexual activity outside of marriage is sinful. It's not just homosexuality. Whether it's premarital sex, extramarital sex, pornography, fantasies, whatever, if it's outside of marriage, it's sinful. So again, we're asking the question, what do you say to a person who says, I have same-sex desires, but I want to follow Jesus. We say you cannot act on those sexual desires. All of us have to bring our sinful desires and our sinful impulses under the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? We're not free to act on those sinful desires. I have my flavor of sinful desires. You have yours. We have to bring all of those under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We cannot act on, on those. So a person with same-sex desires is not free to act on those. We're called by God to holiness. So I must submit, you must submit your, all of our sinful desires, including my sinful sexual desires, under the authority of Christ and live in obedience to him. So to a person who says, I have same-sex desires, but I want to follow Jesus, I would say that. I would also say this, and this is number three, that same-sex attraction is disorder. Number three, if we get that up there. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Okay, I may have. Okay, there's not a three? All right, it should be four. Yeah, you got it. You had it right. Same-sex attraction? Go ahead and put it up there, Gideon. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So sexual desires, what I've got there, sexual desires are on a, oh, I, I guess I've missed one then. There isn't a three. Okay, well, the three is this. I'll give you the three. <laughs> same-sex desire or same-sex attraction is disorder. It's quick is disordered and a result of the fall. That's what I want to say. So I just want to say this. Don't say, don't say God made me this way. Because if you say God made me this way, that implies that God approves of these desires. Because people will say, God made me this way, therefore I should act on it. So we don't say that. 
Same-sex desires, like any other sinful desires, of, are a result of, of the fall, of being fallen and broken and sinful. We all have disordered desires, right? We all have our unique desires that are sinful. All right, and then number four. Thank you, Gideon. Number four is sexual desires are on a spectrum. They're not either or. What I mean by that is we have a tendency to think like an on-off switch on a, on a light, like it's heterosexual or homosexual, like, like there's just an on and off. There, there's a spectrum of sexual desires because we're complex, sinful people. And we have these, these spectrum of disordered desires. Some people have almost all heterosexual desires, but occasionally they have same-sex desires. Some people have very little attraction to anybody. Some people just have very little sexual attraction to anybody. And then some people have very... Some people, and I, the stuff I've seen recently is around 2 or 3% of the population has consistent and sustained attraction to the people of the same sex. It's about 2 or 3%. That's pretty much right, okay? They have same-sex consistent attraction. For people with sustained same-sex desires, we can say, there's nothing wrong with saying this, that they are same-sex oriented. Because in those cases, we're saying that person has same-sex desires or same-sex oriented, all we're doing is just describing the facts about this person's desires. Okay, so, so sexual desires are on a spectrum. But, and I'm going to get to this, and it's very important, identity is different. A Christian cannot identify himself or herself as homosexual or as gay. That's not your identity, and I'm going to get into this more. Christians can have same-sex desires as a result of being broken and fallen people, but they need to fight against those same-sex desires because acting on them or fantasizing about them or fueling them is sinful. So again, we're asking, what do we say to a person who says, I have same-sex desires, but I want to follow Jesus? This is what we're saying. Next one, number five. If I have that, yeah. So I'm saying in terms of moving from same-sex desires to heterosexual desires, I would say be realistic and hopeful, but avoid both arrogant optimism and cynical pessimism. And here's what I mean by that. There are some Christians who had same-sex desires, and God has changed their desires. That has happened. There's a book by Jackie Hill Perry where she talks about being a lesbian she had same-sex desires, but after she became a Christian, I don't know if it was right away, I think it was a little bit later, but after she became a Christian, her sexual desires changed. And now she's married to a man and she has kids. Rosaria Butterfield is another one. I've read her book. She, she was a lesbian. If you haven't read her book, it's very interesting. She's a lesbian. She was an English professor at Syracuse. Get this, her academic field was critical theory and she specialized in queer theory there at Syracuse. Well, God had other plans for her, and she became a Christian. God also changed her sexual desires, so now she has heterosexual desires. She's now married to a pastor, and she's a homeschool mom, okay? Christopher Yuan is another one. I've read, I've, I've read all these books. <laughs> I wouldn't, you don't have to read them all, but this is just my, my thought as I've gone through these. Christopher Yuan is another one. He was a homosexual, then he became a Christian, and now he has heterosexual desires. He's married, and how he teaches at Moody Bible Institute. Okay? So sometimes God changes people's sexual desires. We don't want to say there's no hope for that. We can have hope. We can pray that God would change people's desires. But this is a fact, too. 
There are also committed Christians who only have same-sex desires, and God doesn't give them heterosexual desires. They've asked God to change their desires, but God has not seen fit to do so. So these Christians only have same-sex desires, and there are guys like Mark Yarhouse, Sam Alberry, and Nick Rowan. There's a bunch of others. They're Christians. They know they can't act on these same-sex desires, but God has not changed them. So, they, so all they have right now in terms of sexual attraction is same-sex desires. So what I'm saying, again, they know they can't act on it, but what I'm saying is this. The fact that a person becomes a Christian, that does not necessarily mean that they're going to have heterosexual desires. We can be cautiously optimistic that God may change their sexual desires, and God sometimes does that. And we can pray for that. But we must acknowledge that some people have same-sex desires even after they're Christians. Okay? But think about this. Think about this. Actually, Jackie Hill Perry helped me think about this. This may shock you. A person does not have to be sexually attracted to the opposite sex to be a Christian. The Bible never says that. And that brings me to my next point, number six. The goal of the Christian life is not to be heterosexual. The goal is to live a life of holiness and love devoted to Jesus Christ. The goal for all of us, married, single, whatever, is sexual purity. So the Bible never says that the goal of your life is to be heterosexual. There are plenty of heterosexuals who are going to hell, right? The goal for all of us is to grow in holiness and love for the Lord. The ultimate goal... The ultimate goal is not to have heterosexual desires. The ultimate goal is holiness and devotion to Jesus. The goal is holiness. So listen, God has called all of us to sexual purity, right? It doesn't matter if you're single, married, divorced, widowed, whatever. God calls us to sexual purity. At this point, I'm going to do a little footnote. I'm going to briefly mention something I've noticed in the church. There is a double standard in the church. Many times I have heard Christian women talk about men, their bodies or whatever, and people laugh about it and they think it's cute. It's not cute. It's not. Okay? Because think about it. What if a group of Christian guys, I've never heard, I've never seen a group of Christian guys in a church setting talk about women's bodies. Nobody would accept that because it's disgusting. And we don't want our boys hearing this stuff, right? It's the same with girls. It's the same with girls. We don't want girls growing up in the church hearing Christian women talk about men like this. We don't want that. We're called to sexual purity. Especially, we don't want that, especially when so many people in the church are addicted to pornography. And that includes women and girls. Okay? In, in Ephesians 5.3, Paul says this, Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. And as Christian women, you guys should not get a pass on this. Because the goal of us is all of us to be, be sexually Okay, that's my footnote. That's to the side. All right, back to my question. We're asking, what do we say to a person who says, I have same-sex desires, but I want to follow Jesus? This is number seven. Christians cannot identify themselves as homosexual or gay. Okay, that can't be their identity. A Christian can acknowledge, yes, I have same-sex desires, or yes, my sexual desires are so persistent and sustained that I'm oriented that way. But Christians cannot identify themselves as homosexual or gay. That can't be their identity. I would say to the young person who has same-sex desires, and, but they want to live for Jesus, I would say this. The fact that you have same-sex desires, this does not mean that those desires are who you are. 
Those, des- not, those desires are not your identity. You can't, when I talk about identity, I'm talking about like labeling yourself and how you think of yourself. You can't identify yourself as gay. You can't label yourself or tell others that you're homosexual because that's not who you are. That's not at your core who you are. You don't label yourself that way. You can't think of yourself that way. Your identity is a follower of Jesus Christ. You're in union with Christ. You're a son of God or you're a daughter of God. That's your identity. You're a Christian. That's your identity. I've said this many times in the Christianity and Culture series. Again, your desires are not your identity. Our culture tells us that. And even in the church, we have a tendency to believe it, right? Because if, because if someone has same-sex desires, then our tendency is to label them as homosexual, saying that's your identity. That's the culture saying that. That's not what God says. That's not your identity simply because you have these desires. So don't, for the person who has same-sex desires, I'd say don't label yourself that way and don't even think of yourself as homosexual. Because how you label yourself, and I want to show you this, how you label yourself, how you think of yourself is crucial. Look back in 1 Timothy 1. Look back in 1 Timothy 1. Paul lists all these people who are condemned by God's law, right? And at the end of verse 9, I'm just going to pick out a couple. At the end of verse 9, Paul talks about murderers, okay? Murderers. In verse 10, he mentions liars. Think about that. Murderers and liars. That's their identity. All right? I'm going to ask you to turn with, to 1 Corinthians 6. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is another passage where Paul says that homosexuality is sinful. This is another very important passage on this. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. Okay, I'll just, I'm not going to make a bunch of comments, but we'll, I want you to see, notice the labels and the identity. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. That's actually two Greek words. I'm not going to get into it, but you can study it if you want. But it's two identities and really labels nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. We talked about justification. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Okay? So Paul lists all these types of people both in 1 Corinthians 1 and in, in I mean, 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy 1. And he says, remember, he says, liars murderers, adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to heaven. So think about just those three. Liars, murderers, and adulterers. You ever read the story of Abraham? Did Abraham ever tell a lie? Abraham told lots of lies. Abraham's bent was to, to, be, to tell lies. He lied many times. But, and this is key, the fact that Abraham lied repeatedly and probably struggled with lying his whole life That's not his identity. He's not a liar. That's not who Abraham was at his core. Abraham's identity, and this is how God sees him, it was a man who trusted God. He believed God. Yes, he sinned. Yes, he lied. But his core identity was not a liar. He was a man who had faith in God. That's his identity. 
As I said here, the Bible says that adulterers and murderers, that label, that identity, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You ever read about David? David lied. I mean, David committed adultery, right? He also lied, but he committed adultery and he murdered. Remember that? He broke God's law by committing adultery with Bathsheba. Then he murdered her husband. But David's core identity was not an adulterer. He was not a murderer. How does God think about David? A man after my own heart. A man after God's own heart. That's his identity. Okay? He, that's who he is at his core. The fact that he committed adultery and murder, that's not his identity. His identity is that he's a man after God's own heart. That's why identity matters. It's the same with us. If I struggle with sex, sexual sin, but I'm a Christian, I don't identify myself as sexually immoral person. That's not how I think about myself. What if I'm a Christian and, and I struggle and looking at pornography? I don't want to do it. I want to fight it. I want to fight for sexual purity, but I fail sometimes. Does that mean I'm going to hell, hell because I've looked at porn? Does that mean I have no hope? No. Forgiveness is always available in Jesus. Does that mean my identity is sexually immoral person? No. It's not my identity. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's how I think of myself. That's my identity. That's how I label myself. Yes, I stumble and fall due to my sin, but that's not my identity. It's the same for a person with same-sex desires. If you're a Christian, your identity is not homosexual or gay, even if you stumble and fall sometimes, because forgiveness is always available in Jesus Christ. You pray to the Lord. You say, I sinned against you, Lord. I confess my sin. Forgive me. Help me to grow in holiness. But that's not who I am. That's not who I am. My identity is in you, Lord. That's what we say, and that's how we think of ourselves. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm in union with Christ. I'm his son or daughter. That's my identity. So, so because being homosexual is not who you are at your core. Who you are, no matter your desires, if you put your faith in Jesus, at your core is a Christian, a follower of Christ, child of God. So, so you don't identify as homosexual, even if a person has same-sex desires. That's not who you are. So this is what we say to a person who has same-sex desires but wants to follow Jesus. Next one is number eight, and this is from Pastor Nick Rowan, and I think it's so helpful. If prohibition is the only message people with same-sex desires hear from the church, then our message is incomplete. This is the message I want WCC to hear, because this is the frustrating part for me. Because when I listen to sermons by pastors I admire, honestly, all I hear is this. Homosexuality is evil. Repent. Pray. And I say, I agree. And they say, homosexuality is really bad. And the wor world is going to hell. And I say, amen. We covered that. Now what? What you got now? And they say, homosexuality is really bad. Did I mention that? And I say, yeah, we've already covered that. Now what? What path are you going to offer to this kid who wants to follow Jesus but has same-sex desires? And you keep saying, well, homosexuality is awful. Repent and pray. And I say, we, we keep covering that. Like, what, when are we going to move on to hope and a path? Like, like, that's my response. Seriously, that's all we're going to say is that these desires are evil and that's all we have. So what do you have? You have conservative churches that just hide and they don't mention it. And people just are living with shame and they have no idea what they're supposed to do. That's the sad part to me. And, you're, and if you're a pastor doing that, then you're not 
fulfilling your calling as a minister of the gospel. You're not giving anybody good news. Good news is not saying that this, this is wicked. There's no good news in that. There's no path and hope in that. that is, so that's my, that's my frustration, okay? You can tell I'm getting fired up. <laughs> and we can be, see, this is why it's significant too. If we don't offer a path, you know what? The gay community is going to offer them a path. The gay community is saying this, hey, come on. We, we've got a path for you to follow, an ungodly path. Come on into the gay community, abandon the church, abandon Christ. Here you go. You can do it. Or, or progressive churches, same way. You can, you can continue in this sinful lifestyle and continue being homosexual. Identify that. Come on. You can do it. If we don't offer a path, there others are saying, yeah, come on. That's why we need to offer a path. So the question is, do we have anything other than prohibition that we can offer to people with same-sex desires? Do we? Yes, we do. There's always hope in Jesus Christ and being obedient to his word. And this leads me to the last thing I'm going to cover today. It's not easy at all, but this is the path. This is number nine. That being single and celibate is a God-honoring path for a Christian. I want to flesh this out. Being single and being celibate is a legitimate pathway to follow Jesus Christ. You can do this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do this. If a person has only same-sex attraction, a legitimate, biblical, God-honoring option is to be single and celibate for the glory of God. This is a countercultural message, and I'll explain why in a little bit. You don't have, because you don't have to have sex to be a complete human being. Our culture says that. Our culture says you have to be sexually active to be a complete human being. And, and it's a joke, right? Like, I remember Carl Truman saying, uh, the, the movie, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, you know that's a comedy, right? Because in our culture, a 40-year-old virgin is just ridiculous. It's laughable. But that's a wicked culture saying that. That's what the culture is saying. And that is a lie. You do not have to be sexually active to be a complete human being. You can be single and celibate. Does that mean it's easy? No. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not easy. But you can do it. The Lord will give you grace and strength. And he will grant you endurance and patience to follow him in a path of obedience. In fact, I would say this, and the conservative Christian church often does a terrible time of this, but singleness is a wonderful path for any Christian, regardless of, of sexual desires. I have plenty of friends who are heterosexual. They have only heterosexual desires, but they're single and celibate. And it's wonderful. This is a legitimate and sacred path for the Christian. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself was single and celibate. And in his humanity, he was fulfilled. He was a complete man. You can have a fulfilling life. You can have a meaningful life being single. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, we're in 1 Corinthians 6. If you want to turn over the next chapter, look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. Look at what Paul says. He says it's good to remain single. Paul was single, and he encouraged his, his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to remain single if they were single. Look at verses 7 and 8, 1 Corinthians 7. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Verse 8, very explicit. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Right? 
It is good to remain single. Our Lord Jesus was single and celibate. Paul encourages his fellow Christians, if they're single, to remain single. Single people are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And I get sick of, honestly, I get sick of the conservative Christians who keep acting like you have to be married and have kids to be a real Christian. Actually, this passage in 1 Corinthians 7 is like, I think, the most hated verse among conservative Christians. You, don't, you can be a fulfilled, meaningful Christian and have a wonderful, God-honoring life by being single. And here at WCC, I can tell you this, I am so thankful for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are single. You guys are awesome. I love you guys. And I'm firmly convinced, too, that for a church to be healthy, you need to have a healthy and vibrant group of single people who are wanting to be sexually pure for the glory of God. Also, as I mentioned last week, when the New Testament focuses on relationships, it's rarely focusing on marriage or sexuality. The Bible focuses much more on the love that brothers and sisters in Christ have for one another. And single Christians can enjoy this within the church, right? The focus of love in the Bible is on agape love, the sacrificial love. It's a transcendent love. It's going to be the love we have in the resurrection life to come. We're not going to have sexual love or marriage love in the resurrection life to come. We're going to have this agape, transcendent, wonderful, amazing love that the family of God has for one another. And single Christians, you're not missing out on that. Single Christians can enjoy this within the church and for eternity, and all of us will enjoy this for eternity. In the Bible, the focus is on the one another's. This is asked him about the one and all the one another's in the New Testament. Loving one another within the family of God. And all of us, whether single or married, get to experience that kind of fellowship within the church. So for the person who has same-sex desires but wants to follow Jesus, this is the path the Bible lays out. And the church needs to be encouraging these folks and caring about these folks as they seek to honor God in their lives. And I would say this too. For people that have same-sex desires, I would say that just this is pastoral advice. You may not want to make a big announcement about it. You don't have to do that. People that struggle with porn, I don't think they're required to come up here and tell the whole church that they struggle with porn. You don't have to talk about your, any sinful desires or propensities that you have. But my counsel would be this. If you have same-sex desires, to find a trusted friend or two that you can confide in and talk to them. Find friends you can trust who can keep their mouths shut, frankly, and who will pray for you and care about you. That's what I want for our church. I want us to be a church that says, yes, we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to be obedient to the word of God. We're not going to excuse sin. Homosexuality is sinful. We're not going to excuse it, right? We're not going to excuse any other sin, any other sexual sin. But also, I want us to be a church that understands that the fight against sin is difficult. It's hard. I can testify to it. And oftentimes it gets very discouraging. We need each other. We need each other. We need to be a church that's caring and understanding. We need to be a church that cares for all our brothers and sisters in Christ, including our friends who have same-sex desires. And so I would ask, can we do that? For the glory of God and for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ, can we be a church that's encouraging and rooting for them and praying for them as they seek to honor God through a path of obedience in the form of singleness and celibacy. Can we be a church like that? That's what I want for WCC, for our good and for the glory of God. I'm going to wrap up with this too. 
going to wrap up with this. There's always hope in Jesus Christ. And I'll say this. Whether you have same-sex desires or whether you have a child that has same-sex desires or identifies as gay or whatever, there's hope. Don't give up hope. Continue speaking truth, but also continue loving and caring. Let's shower people in love. Because I tell you what, a loving, Christ-centered church and a loving, Christ-centered person is very attractive. I've said this many times, in a lonely world. And so don't give up hope. And also for my friends who have kids who are struggling with that, know that we're rooting for you. We love you. We care about you. And let's all be in prayer for these kids who have turned away. Okay? All right. But for all of us, right? All of us, all of us struggle with sexual sin. All of us struggle with sins of one form or another. And listen, this is my hope. It's how I'm going to wrap up. There's always hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to carry our burdens. And it doesn't matter what you're burdened with, sexual sin or whatever. It doesn't matter. Jesus wants to carry your burdens. It doesn't matter who you are. The Father's calling you. And he's saying, repent, right? Repent of your sin. But then the Father says, turn to my son, Jesus. Turn to him. He'll carry your burdens. He offers forgiveness and mercy and love. That's who our Lord is. And that's what the Father's calling us to. Listen, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can know this. He's already taken care of your sin at the cross. It's all taken care of. So give your burdens over to him. Lay them at the foot of the cross. Turn to him in faith. And believe this. Believe that he has good things in store for you. I don't care who you are. Believe that God has good things in store for you. Guaranteed. Just let's have faith to believe that. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you. God, I thank you for helping me with an incredibly difficult sermon. Uh, Thank you for giving me grace in that. For people who are confused right now and not sure what I've just said, I pray you'd help them as well. Um, My heart is, Lord, burdened for my brothers and sisters in Christ, whether they have same-sex desires or any disordered desires. We all have them. We all have them, Lord, and we all need your grace. We all need Jesus. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that even now you'd descend upon us in a special way. Holy Spirit, you would, you would quicken hearts that are dead. You would give comfort where there needs to be comfort. Holy Spirit, work even in a way now for people who are burdened. Holy Spirit, I, we just ask that you would come upon people even now who are burdened and sad and struggling and that they would know your peace and your love. Help us, Lord, to be a church, as I said, that is uncompromising in our commitment to your word. We call sin, sin for what it is. We're not going to back off that at all. But at the same time, we want to be just caring and loving and hospitable and really welcoming. So help us in this, Lord. We need you. Without you, we can do nothing. Without you, we can do nothing. Uh, God, I pr- thank you for my church family. Just I was thinking again just how loving and awesome this little church family is and we're so blessed you you just blow us away with just how caring you are and i pray that our that love for one another and love for other people and love for friends and neighbors would just continue to grow and that you'd get the glory in that so we love you and praise you we love you in jesus name amen all right it's now the time in our service when we get the privilege of fellowshipping with christ in the lord's supper Uh, This is not just for members of WCC. If you are a Christian, if you are baptized, you're welcome at this table. And we believe that that Christ meets with us in a special way when we partake of the elements. That the Holy Spirit, this really is a means of grace. That the Holy Spirit comes upon us and changes us ever so slowly, but changes us when we partake of the Lord's Supper.
Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. His broken body for us on the cross. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. His shed blood for us. He died for us, people. He loves us. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I love that little phrase, until he comes, because one day Jesus is coming and he's going to set everything right. And all these crazy disorders are going to be fixed. There's not going to be any suffering and burdens. It's just going to be joy with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray again. Our Father and God, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Jesus, thank you for being our King and our Savior. Jesus, thank you for being here now, for just caring about us. We love you. I love you. I'm so thankful for your love and your tenderness and your care. I do especially pray, Lord, for uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling with sexual sin, especially same-sex desires, but really any sexual sin, because I know it can be very enslaving. So I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I also pray for, for your, just your peace and comfort for parents of young people who have turned away from the faith and are pursuing a homosexual lifestyle. I pray for those parents right now for comfort. We pray for those young people who have turned away. Help us to remember there's, there's always hope in you, Jesus. And even now, we pray for those young people who have turned away from you, Lord. Pray for even now you'd work in their hearts and they'd come back to you. We all, most of us know people who are, who are like that. And so we pray for these young people or old people or brothers, sisters, whoever. We lift them up to you. And we pray that you would allow them to see the beauty of you, Jesus, in the gospel. Allow them to have eyes open to see your beauty and hope and majesty. And that they would turn from their sins and turn to you in faith and just rejoice in who you are and rejoice in their salvation. So we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.